want to offer a special welcome to anyone here who's maybe visiting for one of the first few times. My name is Stephanie. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are so grateful that you're here. I know it can take a lot of courage to come and join a new community. And so if this is one of your first few times, please take a moment and meet me afterwards. I would love to do that. I'll be over by this window. Please come over and say hi. I'd love to, to connect a face and a name. We're so grateful and excited to get people connected with our mission here at Mill City. Um, I will confess that I have a lot of pet peeves. Does anyone else have a lot of pet peeves and they're willing to confess? All right. Now, some of you know me pretty well, and you might say, I didn't realize that Steph had that many pet peeves. And that's because I've been growing as a person. And I've been learning that not everyone wants to always hear about your pet peeves. And so I'm growing as a person. You're welcome that I'm not pointing out all of my pet peeves. But this morning, I thought I would at least share what's at the top of my list. Some of you know that I... Um, just as a hobby, I love doing design and home remodel stuff, and I follow all these Instagram things about home remodels and all that kind of thing. And so I really enjoy it. I got a chance this last winter to remodel a new, an old house to make it new, and it was really fun. But when I see certain things happen when it comes to home projects, the pet peeves are something that I cannot handle. And I don't know why I do this to myself, but I follow an Instagram handle that's called Please hate these things. And I brought you a few pictures of the please hate these things from this Instagram account. So look at these things here on the screen. They are just wrong. How wrong is that? Please tell me I'm not alone. All right. No. This is not only wrong, this is dangerous. Please, why? Just take a few drawers out. It's okay. You don't need all the drawers. Why? Why would you do that to someone's eyeballs? Like, just don't, don't. This one, I don't even know how you use the oven or the dishwasher. This is real life homes, people. This, this is not only wrong, this is disgusting. And then the last one, I don't know if it's technically wrong, but check it out, because it's definitely not right either. All right, where's my Texas people? There's some Texas people here. I need you to explain yourselves. Why does this exist? Okay, so that's, you, if you would like to follow along more, you can go to the Please Hate These Things Instagram account. But I would say, you know, these are funny. That's why I follow the account, even though it makes me cringe, and it brings up these pet peeves. And some of us tolerate these funny things more than others, and clearly I'm on the low end of tolerating these things very well. But I want to tell you something, and I, and I mean this all joking aside. If I could, even if these things bother me to my core, if I could, I would choose to have every one of these wrong things in my house remodel if I could trade them for the wrong things that have happened to so many people in this last season. I would do it. I would trade it. If there was a way to look back on some of the pain and suffering that people have experienced and trade that out for some of you and your stories that I've told, that you've told me, I would trade it for anything if I could, even something terrible like these visuals in the house. If it was in my power to make even some of the wrong things right, I would try. Wouldn't you? Some of the things that, that we could trade. If I could trade for some of the injustices that we've learned about that were in the past, that just even this recently we've begun to more completely understand, I would trade anything to make those wrong things right. And I bet a lot of you would too. I am so proud of our community because in this last season, Mill City folks, you have done a great job of choosing to bear witness to some of the most difficult things that we've seen around us. 
We've looked at the pain, the injustice, these difficult things that have happened now and in the past, and you all have engaged so well. I'm so proud of you for how we've engaged these things. But it brings up a ton of tension, doesn't it? Doesn't it bring up tension in your mind and in your heart? Hasn't it brought up some tension in some of your relationships when it comes to these things, that this pain, this injustice that we've seen in the world around us? So here's my question for you all today. What might God be calling us to do about this tension? What do we do with the tension that we feel when we look at what is, what is wrong in the world around us? What do we do with that? Because I want to suggest today that I think that God might be the one giving us this tension, and so God might have some response for us in mind. So today I want to explore that question together, and we're going to, we're going to look at some text together. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, we are going through the entire story of God this year in 2021, and we're going genre by genre. Inside the Bible, there's a, multiple different genres, and they're actually designed to be read a little bit differently. And so because of that, we're approaching it by genre so we can learn together not only what this has as, as regards to meaning in our life now, but also how do we understand this well since this was written so long ago to a very different group of people. And right now we're in the genre of the prophetic books. Prophets are people who God had given this message to share with God's people. And these prophets that you see in Scripture were speaking to God's people during the time in history of Israel, during uh, when First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, when it's documenting all of these, these kings. You see, God had said to the people, I am your leader, but the, the humans wanted a human king. The humans said, no, we want a human king, and so God gave them what they wanted. And nearly all of these kings led the people away from God's heart. Nearly all of these kings led the people towards injustice and committed injustices themselves. And the prophets are these people that I would say God had burdened with this injustice so much that they were so overcome with what was wrong that they felt led to go and speak out to God's people and to get the people's attention. So we've been calling this conversation that we're having about the prophets warning signs. God has the prophets do some pretty strange things. If you've read through, I know some of us are reading through the Bible this year. The prophets do some weird stuff. They say some weird stuff, and they have some really strong language. So when we're reading it, it can sometimes feel very unfamiliar to us. But you know what it is? It turns out it's really hard to get people's attention if they've turned their attention away from God. It's really hard to get people's attention if they've turned their attention away from God. And so that's what these prophets are trying to do. They're trying to say, warning, warning, you've turned away from God. Turn around. And see what God has for you. And so today I want to look specifically at the book of Amos. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to the book of Amos. Uh, and we're going to look at the beginning, the middle, and then the very end of the book of Amos. Now Amos is a shepherd. Think about this. Amos is a shepherd. He's not a leader. He's not a king. He's not a priest. He's just a guy. He's a guy who is looking at his community and seeing deep injustices and says, I have to say something. God puts it on his heart to say something. Oftentimes, people refer to Amos as one of the angry prophets. And, you know, I would say it's true. He's got some angst, we could say. He's pretty angsty. Some of you know that my nephew's name is Amos. We had a season here at Mill City Church where a lot of people named their kids after prophets. And I'm not sure how that's going for you at home, but if you name them after prophets, you get what you get. And so my nephew's name is Amos. And uh, he's a happy kid, but he can get angry like most kids. But right now, he is in an extreme dinosaur phase. 
Anybody had a kid in the extreme dinosaur phase? And so right now, uh, please humor me with this video in a second here. Uh, this is Amos, my nephew, that I want you to have this, the angry prophets, Amos the T-Rex, in your mind, so that'll stick with you, roaring against injustice. Check this out. <laughs> is that a dinosaur in my car? <laughs> I like it! You lock it so the dinosaur doesn't get in? Oh my goodness. I'm going to blame my brother for teaching him that you could climb on the front of someone's car. But there he is. And my niece says, I locked it! Because she locked the door so the T-Rex couldn't get into the vehicle. So I want you to have that picture in your mind. This is these angry prophet, angsty prophet, but we're going to see here in a minute just exactly why. Amos the prophet is upset. Amos the prophet, not the T-Rex, is upset because he's speaking to God's people during a time when one of these really terrible kings was leading, Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam II had won all these battles. He had accumulated all this wealth. And because of that, he had become so apathetic towards Yahweh God. He had everything he needed. He didn't need God because he had all the wealth that you could want. It led to idol worship. It led to injustices that came from that idol worship. And it led to a severe neglect of the poor among them. So God had put two things on Amos' heart if you read through this book. First, people, the people of God hurting the poor. Amos was upset about the people of God hurting the poor. They were selling people into slavery. They were denying poor people uh, legal representation. There was a whole list of awful things that were happening. The second thing that Amos was pretty upset about was idol worship. And so in this time, the worshiping of these idols was idols of sex and weather and war and kind of taking on these gods of the, the neighboring countries and the people around them, the neighboring nations. And the thing about that idol worship, it wasn't just that it was turning people away from Yahweh, but that the way that these gods were worshipped also led to injustices towards other people, more and more and more. So I'll just read a summary of the things that are weighing on Amos's heart that clearly are things that break God's heart as well as Amos speaks on behalf of God. So we're going to look at Amos 2, 6 through 8. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor, as on the dust of the ground, and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. So I, I don't know about you, but this is a summary. It goes on and on. There's many things that Amos is upset about and speaks on behalf of God. But I don't know about you, but I can resonate with Amos a little bit. Think about this. At any given time, there's two or three things that I feel like are burdening my heart. Do you ever feel like that? Areas of injustice that feel like they're just glaring to me personally. And, and they're just so, it, these tough emotions that I feel like are from God, yet it's so difficult. And it's interesting to process that God might give me a burden that doesn't feel good. Because I want to think that anything that God might put on my heart and my mind would feel good. But that's not what we see here. That God might put on someone's heart something that's a burden. I think it's what we mean when sometimes we say or we sing the song that says, break our hearts for what breaks yours. If we ask God to do that, God will do that. God will break our hearts for the things that breaks God's heart. So think for a minute. Think about what it is that maybe has been on your heart. What has been burdening you lately? 
maybe in, in your personal life, in your neighborhood, in our nation, in the world. I think that God sometimes puts these things in our hearts. When I think about it for me, uh, depending on the day, depending on the season, right now I think right now about the kids in my neighborhood who don't have enough to eat. I think about those same kids who often, I think, uh, fell behind in their education because of lack of resources during the pandemic. And I just feel this burden on my heart for them. I bet I'm not the only person that feels gutted by the horror of these stories that are being revealed about these mass graves of indigenous children at these boarding schools. It's terrible. And even more terrible, how many of these boarding schools that were forced on these kids were led by Christian churches. It's absolutely heartbreaking. I think about this homelessness and housing initiative that we're having right now as a community. And I know I'm not the only one we've heard from you that, that we think about people who don't have a permanent place to call home and it just weighs on you, doesn't it? Whether you see something like people living out on the streets or you experience that by getting to know someone who's experiencing homelessness, it just weighs on you. And I think it's a burden that's actually from God. Just like Amos was feeling burdened by injustice, God gave that burden to him and God gives us these burdens. Wrong things happen around us all the time. We can resonate with Amos, can't we? Can I get a nod if you, you resonate with Amos? Okay. So I know that I can feel that way. I can sometimes get a little angsty, maybe feel a little bit angry, deciding to say, well, whose fault was this? How did this happen? I'm angry at the people who perpetuated it or didn't stop something that should have happened. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I even feel angry towards God. That's a real emotion that sometimes we feel. What breaks your heart that you think also breaks God's heart? I think God puts different things on our hearts. But if we are going to be people who align ourselves with God's heart, it's going to bring up tension in us. And we don't like feeling that tension. I totally get that. We kind of have a world that wants to just avoid it. But instead of avoiding it, I want us to think about how we might respond to it and how God's word gives us some ways in which we can respond to the things that give us this tension and bring up this tension in our minds and in our hearts, in our lives. So we can't just fix it because that would eliminate the tension, wouldn't it? If we could just fix it. If we could just switch it out for one of those design fails, woo, it'd be great. There's no magic wand. There's no quick fix to the pain and injustice around the world, but there is ways in which God invites us to respond. And so as I read Amos, I see a three-part response. We're, things that we are invited into, I'd say now, even though this was written thousands of years ago, things that we are invited into now as people who follow Jesus. And in honor of Amos, they all start with A. I don't even do alliterations that much, so you all just feel blessed about that. Okay, they all start with A. Three A's. So if you're a note taker, you can just have three lines that all start with A, and uh, you can put these three blanks, and we're going to fill them out as we go, all right? Right out of the book of Amos. So as we go through the A's, here's something important I want you to remember. Let's remember that since Amos spoke these words, we have the gift of Jesus. Jesus would come 600, 700, 750 years after Amos spoke these words. We're not exactly sure of the timing. And so we need to remember that. So here's a, a seminary for everyone tip. Pastor school, you're all smart. This is a tip. Whenever you're reading the Old Testament, I want you to ask this question. What is the difference that Jesus makes? What is the difference that Jesus makes? This question helps us look back on the story of God and, and, and the scripture that we might be reading like the prophets. And it helps us understand what that means for us today because we're always looking back at the story through Jesus and through the cross and through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and then our empowerment by the Holy Spirit. So please, when you're reading the Old Testament, ask the question, what's the difference that Jesus makes? 
And we need to do that as we're listening to Amos today as well. So the first A in this process is anguish. Anguish. This is actually the word the Bible Project uses a lot for the prophets, and I think it's a great one. Anguish. The prophets are in anguish. God is in anguish. It's kind of like this gut-wrenching mix of grief and anger and suffering. When we read God's words of anger and anguish in the prophets, I don't know about you, but it can be kind of hard to read. In fact, I think it's one of the reasons we don't read the prophets that often. Let me read a little section again, uh, Amos 2, 4 through 5. Listen to God's anguish in this short section. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent because they have rejected the law of the Lord. They have not kept his decrees because they have led, been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortresses of Jerusalem. Yikes. This is most of the book of, Ang of Amos, is this anguish. God's anguish at how the people are dishonoring God and dishonoring each other. And it can kind of be difficult. I'm going to admit this. It's difficult to think about God being angry sometimes. And there's reasons that we might feel that's difficult because of maybe some experiences we've had with human beings and the way that their anger has affected us. And it's maybe been really traumatic and really dangerous for us emotionally. But I want you to think about this. How can we follow a God who doesn't experience, experience anguish at the pain and suffering of those that God loves? How can we follow a God that, that sees this pain and suffering being caused by God's kids towards each other and not be led to anguish over that? Look at this quote from Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. This is what he says. Love, love Dr. Tim. God is not indifferent to what is happening. God is passionate about people and his world. He won't tolerate the horrific things that we do to each other. God will apparently let our world collapse if that's what it takes to get our attention. But what's the difference that Jesus makes? Tim goes on to say, in the story of Jesus, that passionate anger develops into self-giving love that opens up a way through death and into a new creation. Jesus took the sin and brokenness into himself and then overwhelmed their power. I love that. Overwhelmed the power of sin and brokenness through his death and resurrection. The most astounding outcome of God's intensity in the Bible is that God is so moved out of love for us that in Jesus, he takes creation's violent anger into himself and overcomes it with his goodness and life. Praise God for that. So as we are filled with anguish when we see terrible wrongs in the world around us, Jesus understands because he took those Feelings of anguish upon himself out of love. When our response to the pain and the injustice in the world around us is giving us anguish, God is with us in that emotion. I think God even might be giving us that emotion in order to process what we're experiencing. And we are made in God's image. And so what breaks God's heart will break our hearts as well if we step into it. And when we know that we are guilty of taking actions against God or other people, we anguish over that as well, don't we? It's a terrible feeling. But God invites us to repent, to turn back towards God. This is what these prophets are talking about before Jesus even came, but to turn back towards God and know that we are forgiven, that we are set free from guilt, from shame, from these things that hold us back. They try to creep back into our lives, don't they? But we know that because of the difference Jesus makes, we are set free from those things. 
And practically, that anguish looks like repenting and lamenting, like we often talk about here at Mill City. But we don't stay there, do we? We move to the second A, which is action. We move from anguish to action. Here at Mill City, we often say we repent, we lament, and then we act. Because that anguish can lead us towards action. This is what it does for God. It leads God towards action that resulted in Jesus. But here's the thing about human beings. If we don't let it lead us towards act, acting in our lives, it's going to lead to another A word. Not a cuss word, just another A word. And that word is apathy. It's apathy. The anguish will lead to apathy because we just don't want to deal with the tension anymore. But if we let the Spirit of God lead us towards action, it changes everything. And Amos is so clear here about this invitation to action. In Amos 5.4, God says, Seek me and live. Let me read a little bit more of chapter 5 for you, where Amos is calling the people to action. Amos 5.14, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And we know that he does have mercy. He goes on, let me go on to verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's important for us to understand it's not that God doesn't want the worship that people want to offer to God. It's just that it's so empty without the partnership of action and letting God's heart move us into a space of seeking God personally, seeking God's forgiveness personally, seeking God corporately, and then seeking the good and letting the justice and righteousness roll down. Loving our neighbor as ourselves with selfless actions of love and mercy and justice. All right, I want to stop and define a couple words here. If you're taking notes, just this is a good time to, to get out your pen or to jump into your, to your app. Let's define these words righteousness and justice from the Hebrew perspective. Maybe you've heard that before, but if we don't think about what it means in the Old Testament, we might misunderstand as we think about what those words might mean today. So really quick, I'll put it up on the screen. Righteousness in Hebrew, tzedakah, means right relationships and equity no matter the social differences. It's about relationships between other people and with God. Justice, or mishpat in Hebrew, concrete actions to correct injustice and to create righteousness. Sometimes I use the word right-making. Justice is right-making out of the things that are wrong. But then we need to realize and go even further that there's different ways to look at justice. Let me unpack just two of them really quick to see the kind of justice that's on God's heart. We've got retributive justice and restorative justice. When someone commits an unjust act in retributive justice, justice requires that they should experience a punishment that is proportional to the offense. But restorative justice is repairing the harm caused by the unjust act. Both victims and offenders are led towards personal and relational healing. All right, these are, these are important differences for us to understand. Now, in our systems in the world that we participate in, retributive justice is a part of our process. And it's not that it's not helpful or that it's necessarily bad, but here's the important thing. Retributive justice alone falls short of the fullness of God's justice. 
My friend Dominique Gilliard writes a ton about the difference between these types of justice in his book. It's called Rethinking Incarceration. I'm just going to read just a couple sentences for you, a few sentences of how he defines these differences. Put it up here for you on the screen too. I'll read it from the screen. All right, you can put it up on the screen. All right. Scripture consistently reveals that restoration, not punitive punishment, is at the heart of God's justice. Biblical justice does include retribution, but not exclusively. Biblical justice cannot be solely defined by it. The more accurate description of biblical justice is restorative justice. Biblically, justice is a divine act of reparation where breached relationships are renewed and victims, offenders, and communities are restored. Justice, therefore, is about relationships and our conduct within them. Justice asks, how is righteousness emoted and exuded and in how I live in relation to God, neighbor, and creation? In fact, Scripture could be read as the narrative of God's restorative justice unfolding in the world. Scripture could be read as this narrative, this story of God's justice unfolding throughout the story. We talk about that all the time, how it's a restorative story. So uh, Dominique goes on to talk about some really cool ways that restorative justice is being done in our judicial system. But we know that retributive justice falls short, don't we? Right? I mean, if you think about it, it falls short of truly making a wrong thing right. Even if an offender is taken to jail, it doesn't take the trauma away from the victim, does it? Even if an offender is given a life sentence, it doesn't bring someone back to life, does it? Retributive justice can bring accountability, and that's really good. It's really important, something we should advocate for. But retributive justice can't restore what was taken or what was lost or what was broken. So, I I mean, I definitely, personally, I think we should advocate for any justice system to be as fair as possible, especially when it comes to how it treats people in power. But we need to remember deep in our hearts as Jesus followers that God's ultimate justice or right-making is restorative, right? The restoration of all things. We know that God's justice is restorative because Jesus demonstrated how far he would go to show that no one is beyond redemption. I heard this incredible story that maybe some of you had heard last summer about uh, this young man who had put graffiti on the mural of George Floyd, like last summer, I think it was. And uh, it turns out that he'd been drinking, and I guess he didn't even totally remember it the next day. But everybody was in this raw place, right? People were just really hurting. And he had defaced this image of this man that had just been so brutally murdered. And there's this woman named Janelle Austin. Maybe some of you have heard about her. She's a Christian, and she has uh, been asked by the community to be the caretaker of George Floyd Square. Kind of a big responsibility right there where he was killed. And I've met her, and I've gotten a chance to talk to her. And I heard her on the radio the other day, and I knew it was her, and so I stopped to listen. And she told this really powerful story. She said that her and the other leaders, they asked if they could enter into a restorative justice process with that young man instead of him having any sort of other punishment. And if he agreed to it and they agreed to it, they would do it. Part of that process was that he would come and help care for the memorial. And so he came on that first day, and he was with the crew of people who would take down some of the papers and the images and, and before they got too tattered and put them into books and document them and, and, and preserve these words that people wrote in the midst of their pain. Janelle said that one of the first papers that he took carefully down, she watched him, 
and he looked at it, and it was a picture of George Floyd's face, and it said, this man is made in the image of God. And she said, in that moment, she saw on his face that tears just started to form. And she said, on the radio, she said, it was that moment that I think his, his restoration began. We know that God's justice is restorative because Jesus gave his life for even the most serious offender if they would choose to accept it. We know that God's justice is restorative because we know the end of the story, don't we? Hey, that's where Amos ends too. Amos ends in this end of the story where God makes all the wrong things right and there's no more tears and suffering and injustice and no more oppression. Let me read how Amos finishes it as well. This final A, anticipation. Anticipation for what God will do. Hope for the future now and for the future long term. Amos 9. These days are coming, declares the Lord. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given to them, says the Lord your God. This is a picture of the future new heaven and new earth. And that's the end of the angry prophet Amos' words is this future hope. And that's the anticipation that we have. But we have to remember the difference that Jesus makes. There's a difference that Jesus makes that since the time of Amos, right? In our anguish, in our action, in our anticipation. Look at this. The difference that Jesus makes is that we have access to God in all of these things. That God is giving us access to his love and mercy when we're in anguish. We have access to the Holy Spirit to overcome the brokenness in our lives and in the systems around us. We have access to God's supernatural wisdom and leadership to even know what actions to take one step at a time. And we have access to Jesus working in us and through us now and a hope and anticipation of what God will ultimately do. So listen, when we get a chance to live in anticipation— we get to join in. We get to join in the right making. Can we understand this? That we get to take actions that restore righteousness because God could have done it without us. God could have done it without us, but God chooses us to join in. God chooses to make us like a a critical part of the mission. God could have benched us permanently, right? And said, look, you gotta, you're gonna, you're gonna have to take a time out for the rest of this because y'all have not done the right thing. But that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy means that we now, because of Jesus, we have a way to have access to God and God's restoration. So even though we start in a place of anguish, we take action. And dare I say, when we get to take these actions, we get to do it with joy. That's the kind of God we serve. The kind of God that can move us from anguish to joy. The kind of God that forgives us and gives us a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance to be a part of the most important mission that's ever been embarked on. The restoration of the world that God loves. With joy, we get to take action until no kids in our city go hungry. With joy, we will take steps until everyone in our city has a place to call home. When we talk about this housing and homelessness challenge, it's not a burden. It's our honor. It's our privilege. It is our joy to serve God in that way. With joy, we seek restorative justice that goes beyond retributive justice that we see around us. And so as we go into this time of worship, 
We're going to go through this process together in just this short time. From anguish to action to anticipation. Starting with a song of confession and communion. And then moving to a worship song, talking about how God leads us in action. And then finally ending, as we always do, with the doxology. A song of hope and anticipation and praise for what God has done, for what God is doing, and for what God will do. Amen.